Welcome and happy Friday. This is Travelog, the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler. This is our third episode, and I'll probably, after this, stop saying which episode it is. I'm here with Peter John Lindbergh, who's our executive editor, Paul Brady, who's our senior editor, Laura Redman, who's our digital deputy editor, Calder Quinn, who is a man about town and does many things for us. He's a digital editor, a producer for video, for Snapchat, for these here podcasts, and today he's our bartender as well. Uh, and my name is Brad Rickman. I'm the digital director. We have a very special topic today, but first, we're going to do a shout out to our drink of the week. This is something we do every week. We go around the world, try to find a cocktail. Today, we have one called the Shark Eye. It comes from Ravi DeRossi, uh, uh, Death & Co. fame, and this is from his recent venture, uh, Mother of Pearl, which is here in New York, of course. Uh, it's on Avenue A and East 6th Street in the East Village. Um, it's where the Gin Palace used to be. It's a tiki-ish bar. He, he likes to call that postmodern Polynesian. Opened up in July of this year, and these were mixed up by Calder, so if it's really, really strong, blame Calder. And everybody, let's give it a taste. Cheers. Ooh, tastes like Friday. Tastes like mm. Friday. <laughs> are there seven or 17 liquors in this drink? There are more or less than 10. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> it is a taste sensation. <clears throat> so the topic for this week is our very own New York City. Um, it was the, the biggest, the best, best big city in the U.S., in the 2015 Reader's Choice Awards poll this year. Um, it's the first time that that's ever happened. And we all, this is a, a topic near and dear to our hearts, but also, you know, we all live here in New York, so I'm a little bit conscious of this being kind of an inside-the-bubble conversation. But um, but I'm wondering, I was one of the things I was wondering is, how many of us, this is a New York kind of question, how many of us actually grew up here in New York, if any? Nobody. I did. So we have one out of... Does, does New Jersey count? I don't know. That's a really good question. North or south of Marlboro? Ooh, Central Shore. Oh, my. By no. boat, it's close. I don't no, you know. don't. All right, you, fine. You, no, you, you do not count. You're on the I, other. I am new to the city then. So, um, so what? What? what this is something we got into a couple weeks ago um, when Pilar was here, but I'm wondering um, what. This is the first time that this has happened with New York, and so part of part of me wonders what has changed. Why is that the case? Do we maybe, think maybe the year? difference is that you know now instead of fifty one million annual visitors, we're up to fifty five million annual visitors, and all of those people, the extra know, push, four million, pushed it over the edge pushed. because it's the <laughs> biggest tourist attraction in the United States. New York City is and that statistically that's true? Yeah, and so that's a that's a really odd thing I think, especially for New Yorkers who think of themselves right as very insular and we're all, all self obsessed and and what's the newest thing for us to see, but a lot of people come here to see New York City and, and all of the things there are to see and do here. Yeah. So I think it's important to keep in mind that we're not just self-obsessed. There's 55 million other annual visitors who agree with us. Who are obsessed as well. <laughs> yeah. we are, we, our obsession is justified. Do yeah, a, in a way. Do a lot of people come to Midtown to see 42nd Street or, t or Ground Zero, or do they go elsewhere? That I'm, that I'm less sure on, but I mean, I'm, judging from walking through Times Square, Many of those 55 million are there <laughs> when you're trying to go to work in the morning. But. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, but it's a good point because one of the things that has changed is is lower Manhattan, right? Like, so we have all witnessed that. What 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 is the perception that you guys have since we've been down here? It's been a year now. At the World Trade Center where the Condé Nast offices are. 
Right. Yeah, yeah. What 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 does it what has it felt like to to be here for the last year? Well, I mean, we looked down on the 9/11 memorial and I feel like we went from the top tourist center in the city to the second top tourist center in the city. I mean, there are so many people just going to the museum, going around the uh, the fountains. There there are restaurants and bars popping up to kind of cater to those crowds. I feel like we've had better luck going for happy hour. Um, you have to actively avoid getting your eye poked out by a selfie stick. Yes, totally. that's definitely true. That's, that's it, definitely it's true. It's a skill, downtown. but you know we've all improved. <laughs> yeah, I think that I think that's true. You know, I mean, I joke about Times Square, but this the whole of Manhattan is filled with tourists. Whether they're at Chelsea Market, whether they're in Lower Manhattan, whether they're going to the Statue of Liberty, whether they're in Times Square, whether they're going far uptown to the cloisters. I mean, I go up to the cloisters on the weekend to kind of get away from the craziness of the city. And there are tourists on the A train at 10 in the morning on a Saturday You're thinking, my God, there's a lot to see and do here. And there's enough people that everyone is constantly going everywhere in Manhattan. And, and I think that's why you start to see people going to the outer boroughs for tourism as well. And it's going beyond, you know, the Brooklyn Bridge and walking the Brooklyn Bridge, which certainly lots of people are doing, but they're going a bit deeper and further into the boroughs as well. I think, yeah, I think more and more out-of-towners are, are getting hip to the fact that, you know, first Brooklyn and then certainly Queens, you know, all along has been wonderful for uh, sort of an outer borough dining experience or whether you're going low to the ground or for something more refined. Um, and there's certainly more than just food in Queens, but we certainly focused on that in our, in the October, in our October food issue, um, a wonderful piece that was really covering some of the sort of more, um, I don't want to say authentic, but definitely the sort of more... Um, uh, you know, kind of local kind of places. Um, and you were definitely seeing more of that. I certainly, you know, Paul, you actually live out there. So, um, yeah, I do. I, I do live in Queens and it's, it's very hard for me to talk about it enthusiastically without feeling like, you know, I'm sort of fixing the bet a little bit, you know, like, <laughs> like Queens is really great. Where do you live in Queens? You know? Um, and then people sort of don't believe anything that you've just said about how great it is. But, um, to me, it, to me, it, it, it illustrates a, a point that, you know, we talk about often here at the magazine, which is people are always looking for these experiences that they can't find anywhere else, right? You know, everywhere sort of has great coffee. Everywhere sort of has great hotels. We were talking about this on the podcast last week. Yeah. Um, but what can you do in this place that you can't do any, anywhere else? And one great thing about Queens is that it has perfect views of the Manhattan skyline. And so, you know, as you're looking right. across the East River, you have these wonderful backdrops or photos. And, and thank God, there are also great restaurants and there are great parks. There are great museums there that you aren't replicated in Manhattan. And so it, it fits into this greater trend, I think, in travel that people really want these experiences that they can't find anywhere else. One, yeah. one thing we're really lucky about having a borough like Queens in the city is that you can really travel the world through the distance of a 45-minute train ride from anywhere in New York City. Um, there's a great statistic that the zip code that encompasses the neighborhood of Jackson Heights, um, there are more there are more f languages spoken there than in any other zip code in America and the world, any other postal code, code in the world. Mm. And that's borne out in the Queen's Food article that came out in our October issue. You can literally walk down Roosevelt Avenue and go from Little Tibet to Little Nepal to Little Philippines to Little Colombia to Little Mexico. And this is in within the space of a mile. And all the food is authentic and great. And it just has these great vibes that you can't really replicate elsewhere. We no. should we should make a video about that. Well, I think we should. We should. Well, let's get let's get video, out there. Video.cntraveler.com. <laughs> yeah, let's get that. So so um, I, I asked this question in the in the little notes that I sent around to you guys before this uh, is is and I was trying to be provocative, particularly to you, Peter. Um, is Queens the new Brooklyn then? 
<laughs> like, is this not the thing that people were excited about in Brooklyn, you know, I don't know, five, ten years ago? Isn't everywhere the new Brooklyn? Well, yeah, I mean, okay. But <laughs> no, I don't, I mean, as someone who's interested in now moving to Brooklyn, am I, like, so behind the trend? Should I ignore that? Should I move to Queens now? This is a good question. Well, I think so, but I already live there, and I, you know, I want to sort of <laughs> s- spread the love and, and, and have more people come there. But, no, I think, I think you know, from my perspective, Brooklyn is still really cool, and Brooklyn is where a lot of visitors of the city want to go because they want to see kind of what New York is all about. And, and I think in all cities you feel that, that you want to go to the place that has the city buzzing. You want to go to the place where the creative people are living and working and, and what is the sort of aesthetic and style of the city and there's no better place to see that I think you know as much as it pains me as, as a Queens resident to say that than the Brooklyn flea on a Saturday morning because that's where everybody is and everybody's sort of checking each other out and New York as we've all mentioned is so self-obsessed that what better place than you know right. this sort of preening yeah. self-obsessed right. <laughs> Brooklyn flea environment to check out like what's really happening and you go there and you hear almost as many languages as you hear in you know in Jackson Heights among the visitors yeah but I but can we talk for just a second about this notion of I, I, I my wife went to Berlin um, earlier this year and she was checking into the hotel I think it was the bikini or you know wherever she was and the guy found out you know he's looking at her paperwork or documentation, whatever, and found out that she lived in Brooklyn. He was like, oh, you're from Brooklyn. And this is exactly what you wrote about, right? Like this, it's interesting for me as a resident of Brooklyn. And I, that's like, to some degree, that's why I'm a resident of Brooklyn. And you got to, I want you to talk a little bit about why you're going there. But I mean, I have mixed feelings about that, just like you do, right? Like, I love it. It's great. But how has this phenomenon happened? Like, how did that come to be? Well, I think to me also, let's, let's get the thing straight about Brooklyn that when we talk about the new Brooklyn or when we talk about the Brooklynification of other things like and Calder and I have talked about this before too that you know you're talking about a very narrow wedge of Brooklyn you know mostly Brownstone Brooklyn and Williamsburg and it's kind of it's like defining all of Los Angeles by Silver Lake you right. know like right. it's it's which is you know perfectly legitimate because these are a really interesting areas and they're you know they're fascinating to be in and they're they're great to live in but you know there's when you talk about the new Brooklyn, Brooklyn is actually the new Brooklyn. You just go further out and you go into these other areas that, that you've never even heard of. And so what do people mean when they say that? When they, when they say that's, that's so Brooklyn in, in Paris, what are they talking about? Well, it's... The brand? The brand, I suppose, and a certain breed of hipster um, and a certain insouciance. I don't, I, it's hard to put a finger on it other than Brooklyn. I think well, they kind of nailed it with the description. But, I mean, is it food? And what is different about the way food – like I think of the Mast Brothers, right? Like that is a very particular approach to chocolate. Um, not as not pleasing to everybody, I, I recognize. But, you know, what is it about that that people have latched on to as something – there's certainly the craftsmanship element, and it, which is a very retro kind of thing that the Mass Brothers is a perfect example of. That this idea that you know you're going to like build a wooden sailing ship and you're going to sail your cacao nibs up from you know Dominica <laughs> into New York Harbor like it's 1856, and you're going to sit there with your beards and your suspenders and you know and sip your old old fashions and whatnot. But like, so there's that kind of angle, which is easily parodyable. But like, would we really want to go back to some you know yeah. other? bad version of chocolate i mean i don't think you know mass is great it's overpriced but it's certainly (laughs) you know yeah i think wasn't your thesis peter that the brooklyn the brooklynization of the world so you'll find yourself in a city like istanbul and someone says you know what peter i got a great recommendation for you 
it's this bar that has 87 beers on tap. It's just like Brooklyn. <laughs> and what's what's your reaction to that as you see that more often on your travels? My reaction to that is that I don't necessarily need to go there myself because I live in the real Brooklyn, but I'm, I certainly understand why Istanbulis would like to go there, and I understand why even people from Berlin might come down there and say, hey, this is kind of a cool bar. Um, you know, the, the tribe is sort of moving around the world, and the coolification of the planet is underway. So it's, but do you really think, do you think it, it is all the same thing or do you feel like that that's just become a label that we attach to a certain investment in local production, you know, localizing your sourcing, those kinds of things. Like, is right. it really different or are people, are people who are spinning up bars in Istanbul saying like, we want to make it like that thing that's over there in that, that borough of New York? Yeah, because then I think what happens is that if you, if you cease to see the differences between those things, then maybe that's actually your lack of imagination because when you do go to a bar like the one in, in Istanbul, you know, it's kind of like that scene in The Fly where, you know, you, it comes out like, you know, slightly different. There's some like one little thing went wrong and then it just like ended up utterly, utterly changed. So you walk in there and, you know, first of all, they're speaking Turkish. And then second of all, they're serving different types of foods. And there's always some sort of like thing that's slightly off or slightly on and slightly better or, you know, just just sort of foreign. And that's wonderful to see. So it's not just a stamped out template of, you know. Yeah. hipster kind of stuff around the world. And do, and 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 do you think that the 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 fact that this concept or this brand whatever it is has been able to travel is an indication that all these people who are coming to New York are actually going to Brooklyn and sort of experiencing what that's like. Yeah, I think that's part of it. Whether they're coming here directly or whether they're seeing it replicated in TV in advertising in magazines. I mean, you can certainly get the template whether you live in New Hampshire or you live in you know, Oman, you can you can figure out what we do pretty yeah. well, even without going here, but certainly more and more are going here. I love I love the irony that one of the most popular cruise ship docking points in New York City is Red Hook. And anyone who spent time in Red Hook, Red Hook is still, you know, after the waves of gentrification and hipsterfication, is still real unique and real genuine. And it, yeah. I, I just find it real ironic that it's a disgorgement point for really large cruise ships. And I haven't figured out yet what they do with those people because I, can, I live kind of in a liminal space between, you know, Cobble Hill and there I, in Brooklyn. And I can see those things and I have no idea where, you know, it's like this giant skyscraper turned over on its side. And I don't know where all the people, like how did the people get off there into actual Manhattan, which is I'm they sure. They just bust them out. They yeah, they just, just like yeah. line up the buses and yeah, take them in. Yeah, cabs and buses, and yeah. then they just take them into the city. Yeah. So it's not, yeah, it's not like they're suddenly exploring and going down to, you right. know, Van Brunt Street to <laughs> eat a key lime pie. You yeah, know, it's not. Yeah, yeah. Though they could be doing that. They could be doing and, that. And That'd be a lovely it. way to welcome yourself back from the Bahamas. Yeah, yeah. shout out to Sunny's Bar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a Red Hook uh, in joint institution. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Well. Do you guys think that people are actually staying in the boroughs, too? Because there's so many hotels opening in Long Island City right now. I mm -hmm. know you've seen it a bit, Paul. And there's the Wythe in Brooklyn, which is mm -hmm. fantastic. It's kind of like an ace or the, the aceification of hotels, yeah. I guess. But, I mean, yeah, I'm we did that. Right? We, 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 we talked about that already. <laughs> oh, you did? You're so behind. I'm so, I'm like a week <laughs> You're behind. You're a week behind. God. So, I am starting to tell my friends when they come to visit to look in the boroughs. Like, to definitely look in Brooklyn. Although, it's, I mean... Is that smart? Yeah, I think I think there are a lot of new options in the, in the hotel space, especially in Queens, where you know your convenient subway ride away from major cultural institutions, whether that's museums in Midtown or uh, you know theater district, 
or um, you know Lincoln Center, but there's also a big major hospitality player in the boroughs that's Airbnb. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the reasons that tourists are getting further and further out of Midtown or out of downtown hotel districts is because they have these new options available to them that are, you go online, you have a great deal for a cute space in the neighborhood that you wanted to see anyway. Oh, and by the way, it comes with this like local guide who's very friendly. And this is, of course, not true of every single Airbnb rental, but definitely the image of it and certainly in, in some cases, the execution of it in your Airbnb stay is you get this local guide who can get you past sort of the, you know, walking over the Brooklyn Bridge and just seeing the Barclays Center, these two big sort of attractions there and seeing some of these more local places, whether it's Sonny's Bar or, or the Key Lime Place, it's Steve's Key Lime, Steve's right? Key Lime Pie. In, in yeah, Red Hook. In Red and, Hook. and um, you know, I was actually, when, when I lived in Brooklyn, had to go out of my <laughs> apartment for, for them to do some renovation work. And I looked at Airbnb, and, and some of the hosts that I met through Airbnb were these amazing locals that I was thinking, like, oh, my God, this is a really cool place to be. Oh, wait, I already live here. But, you know, <laughs> it really is like finding some truth in that Airbnb marketing pitch of, like, you have friends everywhere in the world. Like, my God, it might be true. You have to pay for those friends, of course, and you have to chip in 6% to Airbnb. But, you know, what better way to see a place that's kind of tough to get under the skin of than, you know, with the help of a local who you happen to be staying with. Mm -hmm. So where do we come out on this? Hotels or Airbnb? Both. 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 I mean, depends on We don't have to take sides. Yeah, no. (laughs) Everybody can win. I mean, this is a city with some of the best hotels in the world, but also the most expensive, you know, so it certainly makes sense to to look for that value. I think the interesting thing happening in in Queens in particular is there are a lot of sort of, you know, chain hotels, which are great if you're earning points or you're spending points on a stay in New York, but there are also great hotels, right? Like the Wyeth is in Brooklyn and it's very interesting, but you also have the Paper Factory Hotels in Queens, the Borough Hotel in Queens, which one of our writers stayed at and, and reviewed for the website. These are really cool, funky places that, you know, are definitely cheaper than they would be if they were located, you know, 15 minutes west in Manhattan. Right. And, you know, who can argue with a great hotel deal in a cool neighborhood that's convenient? I mean, that's Mm -hmm. what we're all looking for, right? I'm visiting New York for the first time. Do I wade into the public transportation? Well, I was just going to say, like, this is interesting because, you know, a couple weeks ago we were talking about how – you know, small cities have seen these this sort of resurgence or insurgence, however you want to characterize it. And part of what's letting that happen is Airbnb, and part of what's letting that happen is Uber, right? And so mm-hmm. it feels to me like the boroughs, Queens and, and, and sort of outer Brooklyn, Red Hook would be a great – like Red Hook is so poorly served by public transportation. It's like you're buying into a major package if you go live there. And to stay there is even harder. But Uber – will come right there and pick you up. And, and and the same thing is true like wherever you are in Queens. You stay at these places, and New York in that way, the boroughs can feel more like these small cities. And and, and the, the, the sort of the presence of Uber has allowed you, and nothing against yellow cabs and now green cabs. They're awesome. They're wonderful. I love them. Please stop for me. But <laughs> they the, the, the Uber is a, is a sort of guaranteed way for a reassurance to that person where it, instead of walking, you know, 40 minutes to ni- Smith and Ninth Street to pick up the F train, you can just call a, 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 an Uber and it will come and pick you up. And that sort of solves that problem for you. Yeah, I think the, the smartphone in general has made people much more adventurous in a way you know and there's a there's just there's two sides to it right it's on the one hand you've always got your smartphone in front of you so you're never really actually exploring or adventuring you're just 
kind of doing the same thing that you did at home. But <laughs> at the same time, you know, you have that sort of security blanket of, hey, if I get into trouble, I can call a, ca a car. If I get lost, I can pull up a map. If I can't speak the local language, I can use a translation app, which are kind of like these magical portals into local cultures, not just in New York, but anywhere that you go. And so I think with, as people are traveling more and more with these phones, they're more and more willing to go, you know, that extra block or, or go a little bit further down that street than they might not have been. Uh, previously, and so that's only a good thing, uh, not just for big cities like New York, but pretty much anywhere. Yeah, what what um, the the one of the reasons that people always come to New York is food, right? And we talked a little bit about Queens, but what do you guys think is what is the place that you are most looking forward to going to eat at now? I have three, and they're kind of repeats. I was thinking about this because I try to think of you know two to three restaurants I recommend to all my friends if they're coming to visit. Although I have a list of like forty. You know, but giving a list of 40 is crazy intimidating. So it depends on what you want. But I tend to look for um, the Asian food that I can't get aside from living in Singapore. So I send people to Laut, which is on 17th. Mm, I love Laut. Laut is awesome. It has yeah. some of the best roti that I've had since I've lived in Singapore. Yeah. Um, then Red Farm down on Hudson mm -hmm. has these crazy dumplings. I don't know. You could just eat dumplings all day, although it's impossible to get in because it's all kind of communal seating and there are maybe only 20 seats total. But if you get in, I mean, you're there for three hours. It's so good. And uh, across the street, Frankie's, of course. Although, is it, I, don't, I forget the number. Frankie's? 517. Uh, well, 457. See, nobody original. knows the number. It's 457. That's in Brooklyn and Manhattan on Hudson Street. It's 570. Yeah. Okay. Five seventy. Exactly. I should just say the gnocchi place. Like, just get the gnocchi. You know, like, <laughs> or the cavatelli. No, the cavatelli. Oh, the cavatelli, a, the cavatelli is amazing. Well, get both. Okay. I don't know. Okay. Pasta Bring every day, but that it's so fun because that concentrated stretch of the Hudson in West Village is it can be a destination for a day. You know, you can just spend a day there. So I tell people go to the West Village for a day, maybe go to the High Line. I can't not go to the High Line. Although is that, I mean. Is that done? Should no, I say that? no. The High okay. Line is it remains great. We, I think it got even greater because the the new Whitney that's there. Oh my that, god! That, that, I think it kind of got. I went I went for the first time recently, and I thought that, I mean, whatever. It's the Whitney, so like whatever. You have mixed feelings about the art or whatever, but the building was amazing. The location is amazing. The way that they've kind of integrated it with the High Line, the outdoor space that that exists on those platforms, I think, is really great. And the views that you can get, it's like it's it's kind of worth going just for that, just to sort of get immersed in that location and have that view of that whole neighborhood. And the art, you can yeah. see so much public art along the stretch. I love that. Totally. Yeah. Also, the restaurant at the Whitney, by the way, Untitled is amazing. Oh, Michael Anthony. See, that was going to be my that was going to be one of mine. Yeah. It's terrific. Yeah. It's great for for lunch or for dinner. But you know, and the space is designed by Renzo Piano, just like the rest of the museum. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Actually, quite remarkably quiet because it's you know the noise baffling is really ingenious. Yeah. <laughs> the food is amazing. It's from Michael Anthony, the chef from Gramercy Tavern. Yeah. So good. So yeah. good. Yeah. I love and that's that a Dan. That's a Danny Meyer place. That's right? a Danny Meyer yeah. place. Exactly. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So we won't have to tip there soon. Don't have to tip. Yeah, that's great. Peter, where are you? Where are you looking forward to? You know what I love in this neighborhood, actually, right, not very far north of us, um, uh, in Soho, Tribeca area, is um, Houseman. Um, have you guys been to this restaurant? It's no, a fantastic it. local place. It's it's tiny. It's probably I don't know, maybe eighty seats, if that. But um, wonderful, very neighborhood feeling place um, up near Spring Street, um, and it really is just terrific farm to table food but you know also kind of a little more exotic there's some really lovely spice notes in there from all over uh the chef is terrific 
service is really warm. It's kind of exactly the kind of neighborhood place you want to go into on a Monday night or out on a Friday for a special meal. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Paul? I'm actually very excited for a, a place uh, uh, for which the name uh, escapes me right now, but it's just outside of Grand Central. It's a food hall sort of... Uh, mix of all sorts of different types of cuisine, and you see these popping up, you know, near our office in One World Trade Center. There's there's um, a place called Hudson Eats. Of course, Chelsea Market is this very famous kind of place. You have Gotham West Market. All of these sort of um, Italy, Italy. Yeah, you have all these great sort of places that you can go for a meal where not everybody has to get the same thing. And I think they used to call that a food court. Yeah. But I think they've stopped calling it that because yeah. it has this sort of, is, what do they call thankfully. it? Hawker centers in uh, Singapore. Yeah, and it, center, it's yeah. the extension of that. In Koreatown, there's one. I don't know. Is that the one you're talking about? Or? No. Well, the one I'm thinking of is on Vanderbilt, which is right next to yeah. you know Grand Central uh, Terminal. And uh, a friend of mine was just recommending that I go there and try. They have ramen and they have barbecue and they have all these great foods and it's open until nine o'clock. So if Ur- you urban space Vanderbilt, thank you, Calder. See, Calder's got the, the thank you, internet. Yeah, yeah, look at that. <laughs> internet so, mobile devices yes. saving us in cities. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, and it's just it's this very exciting thing. I think that you know, so often in New York, you're excited to go out to eat, and eating is such a competitive sport here. Yeah. <laughs> but you're never really sure what you want, and so this sort of serves your indecision. Yeah. You can get there and like see where the line is shortest or what looks best, and so uh, it's on the it's on the way home to Queens also, which is a huge asset. Yeah. But um, <laughs> you know, you can go in and you can you can see Grand Central Terminal, which remains to this day, you know, one of the great public buildings, sort of famously saved. Um, by Jackie O and and one of the greatest things to see in New York City and then also go and have some like slam and noodles yeah and then head home and uh, to me that's a great way to you yeah, know end yeah. a day after a long day you know slogging in the magazine trenches yeah right <laughs> before uh, that get rough a, life we have before that get a dozen oysters at Grand Central at Grand Central Oyster Bar mm-hmm. absolutely Please. when is the Bourdain Food Center opening oh that's next year yeah okay that yeah. I'm excited oh, yeah. about too because that's out on the West Side exactly right? is it near Chelsea Piers. I think so. Okay. Because he's supposed to have like a hawker center and karaoke and like a raw meat festival. I don't even know. It's crazy. But this to me is an example of, of, of New York borrowing a page. You know, we were talking earlier about Brooklyn going, you know, it's getting exported. This is an import because the last two times I've been to Spain, one of the best some of the best meals that I've had took place in markets exactly like this. So this is a really common thing there. I was just in one in Malaga this year. Um, there's there's a great one in Barcelona, in Madrid. There are two or three that are really amazing. And it's exactly that. It's like you've got f- sort of the equivalent of food stalls everywhere, also wine, also beer. And you can go with somebody and the two of you don't have to get the same thing and you can kind of hang out, you can get food and whatever. It's actually a kind of amazing way to, to, to spend some time with food. Um, so it's kind of cool to see New York doing that. I'm, su- I'm surprised that it's taken this long. It kind of took Italy to, to make that happen here in a, in a, in a weird way. Um, I like the sort of 360-degree move we're making. We started talking about Queens and a very you know eclectic um, international flavor and how Manhattan has sort of imported this food hall sensibility from elsewhere in the world. You mentioned Spain, but really, to me, in Singapore, it, it's really East Asia where you get these food stalls and all this different food you can eat. Um, one of my favorite places to eat is in Flushing in the New World Mall. It's the New World Mall f- yeah. food court. You sort of descend into this mall, and there is maybe 30 little food stands that serve food from all over China and East Asia. And I just like the sort of synergy um, of the fact that we're importing this idea that already exists in an immigrant exclave 
in Flushing to begin with. Totally, but acting like we've invented it. Exactly. Nothing could be more New York than that, <laughs> right? Pretending. <laughs> but to that point, like, if you were going to tell somebody coming from out of town, um, you know, where to go to have a, a, a sort of only in New York kind of experience rather than what we often look for, which is some external experience imported here and maybe, you know, sort of twist it up. What would that be? What there, would be the... To me, there's two classic restaurants in New York City, and they're just the only places I ever want to have my birthday. And one of them were already men- was already mentioned. It's Grand Central Oyster Bar. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and sing praises for the food. It's good, you know, but I don't order anything but clam chowder and oysters. So I don't really know anything beyond that. That's good. I know that's good. The other is Peter Luger. Now, Peter Luger is probably one of the most difficult restaurants to get into in America. It's been open for almost 140 years. And so it's where? It's in South Williamsburg, yeah, which used to be an entirely Jewish area of Williamsburg, and now sort of the you know, gentrification has gone further south. But Peter Luger remains and has been throughout all these years an incredibly popular destination. Um, if you were coming from out of town and you're not working on a weekday, head there at lunchtime. You can walk in. And you'll be able get to sit burger. down, get the burger, get the and burger. the ste- get the burger as an appetizer, the and the steak. What? Burger as an appetizer. Three quarter pound burger no, as an appetizer. What? Burger as an appetizer. You split it. We and cut then it in half. the bacon oh for a dessert. And the bacon. Yeah. Well, the because, bacon. Just slab of yeah, bacon. It's so good. Just go there. Do your. Wait, you guys are serious? Yeah. The bacon there and the burger. I, I don't get the steak. I'm not kidding. Oh wow. I get porterhouse for two for one, and a burger appetizer, and that's that's all you need. Uh, so let what, me ask this question: What is the New York? Is have any of you guys? Is there a new, a major New York landmark sort of tourist destination point of interest that you guys have never been to? Staten Island, Empire State Building. Really? Yeah, I don't know why. Well, I know. I mean, I went there the, for the first time this year. I've been living here for like thirteen years. Uh, the observatory right upstairs in uh, in World <laughs> One World Trade. Have, has that's, a, here? that's probably the most major one right now, right? I mean, everyone's there. Judging by the lines outside, every of the building. every day it's like crossing a picket line yeah, coming yeah, into this yeah, building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Ellis Island. Yeah, I've never been there. Same, either. I haven't either. I gotta say, Ellis Island is really, really moving. It's really whether you have uh, you know an, a, ancestors who came through there or not, um, which I happen to have, but, um, but certainly even even if not, it's it's really well done, really, really well done. You, you can flip through the ledgers. Yeah, it's, I mean, you can flip through the ledgers. That's and amazing. Coming into the country, it's it's really. I completely agree. Yeah, all the multimedia stuff is great. The wall is really just very emotional. It's great. It's the truth. And speaking of wonderful views in New York, I mean, that's yeah. some of the best. Yeah, absolutely. And so, if there were, if there were, if again, thinking about people coming in through out of town, if there were one museum, because we have so many, if there were one that you could tell them to go to, what would it be? Oh, is it for two hours? The Met. It's boring to say, but the you Met. Just, the, Met. the Met. Everybody is going to say yeah. the Met, right? Mm, I'd pick the Met. I'd also pick the Roof Garden in the fall. Yes, um, thank you. Because that the Roof Garden at the Met, in, and first of all, there's beautiful sculpture up there. You can usually have a drink. But looking out <laughs> over the park, that's always good. That is very important. That's always very we've important. We've established that. But we've, we clearly, we've also established that we're going to museums purely for the views. Because yes. from that roof garden, you're only looking out, not looking in. Well, we don't have views in our apartment, but so we exactly, have to Exactly, right, right. And, and, and fresh air. But standing on that roof garden in fall when the foliage in Central Park is all yeah. ablaze, it's just yeah. one of the, and it's, it's like, great. It's like you're floating on this foliage. Exactly. Not, not to sound corny, but because the height of the Met is exactly the same height of these trees. Right, you're in the trees. You're in the trees, and it really is an incredible sensation, and yeah. I've never been there when they don't serve drinks, so. Yeah. yeah. It, it, this, is the, this is the one place in New York where... 10 a.m., I think they, oh, they start. Oh, they start. <laughs> yeah. Before that, no, you're, you're cut off. It's hard to get um, Manhattan. 
this is the one place in, in, in New York where people who work in publishing can pretend to be investment bankers for about five, ten minutes <laughs> just standing up there and looking out. Um, Paul, I'm, I'm, this is something I think about a lot, right? Is it's very easy to live in New York and to it is not no <laughs> not that part, but to, to false, but to not be conscious of the fact that this is a water town. And you were talking about the the amazing water views, and like I have that too, but I have it kind of because I've sought it, I've I, I sought it out and sort of constructed a reality around, but. You know, one of the things that has changed about Brooklyn is there's now Brooklyn Bridge Park. You were talking about Queens and how that's changed. Like, to me, it seems like, and you also were talking earlier today about the West Side. I feel like New York is kind of uh, going through this moment where it's it's surfacing those, you know, kind of waterfront experiences in a different way. Do you feel like Yeah, I think we're going back to the water in a way that, that the city didn't, you know, 15 or 20 years ago. And, you know, it's, it's taken a long time because major infrastructure projects take a long time. But, you know, one of the big exciting things in New York uh, recently is that we opened a new subway station, which should not be, you know, major news in a city with 468 subway stations <laughs> that the 469th subway station opened. However, uh, it did. And it's on uh, 11th Avenue and 34th Street, right next to the Jacob Javits Center, which is a huge draw for out-of-towners. But more importantly, it's right next to the Hudson River. Uh, and you have on the west side of Manhattan this enormous park that runs all the way from the southern tip of Manhattan almost all the way to the northern tip of Manhattan, 13 miles of sort of gorgeous waterfront property that's now solely the purview of sort of bikers and rollerbladers and runners and lovers and you trapeze know, artists trapeze artists <laughs> and golfers and and sailors and all these dogs. people that are taking do- do- a lot of dogs a, lot of, a dogs. lot of dogs and all these people that are taking advantage of the fact that oh yeah the reason this city became such a big deal 400 years ago is because it's in one of the best natural <laughs> harbors in on the planet uh, and we should probably enjoy that and not, you know, just turn our backs on the river uh, in honor of, you know, Robert Moses. When I moved so. here 20 years ago, I remember the same. The, the, you could spend weeks living in Manhattan in the East Village or in Soho or, or on the Upper East Side. You could spend weeks here without seeing the water, yeah. without even realizing that you were on an island yeah. and, and, and never having any inclination that you would cross either of the highways that ring this island, that you could actually go to a green space. And there certainly were parks over there and whatnot. But... You know, people weren't activating them in the way that they are now, like you said, with the with the West Side parks, and then now with Brooklyn Bridge Park. Yeah, and it's a combination, right? It's it's the public transportation is there. You now have bike sharing in New York City that, you know, was sort of again, it was controversial when it was suggested, and now it's just faded into the cityscape, and people ride bikes around, and and that's great, you know, and you can get to these places that aren't served by public transportation, mm-hmm. and enjoy these open public spaces, and there are more ways to get on the water than ever. Uh, and I think, yeah, you know, it's a great thing for the city to go back to the water. I don't know that tourists are necessarily taking advantage of it. I feel like they than are. are. Did you see them on, have you been on the Staten Island Ferry recently? Yeah. No. The number, it almost <laughs> tilts because the number of people going on the side of the Statue of Liberty to take photos. It's I like see. the entire boat. It's not just, just commuters anymore. It's, yeah. no, it's the most affordable all. cruise in the New York Harbor. It's free. It's definitely. Free. <laughs> totally yeah. free. Definitely. Ladies and gentlemen, totally sale. free. The best free ride you will get. Yeah. It's is not it? two fifty. No. I wrote it for free you like a to. week ago. I went to Staten Island for the first time. A controversy. Week ago. Well, it's controversy. You know, Brad. Speaking of what you were saying before, I mean, part of the appeal of this neighborhood that we're in right now, down here around the World Trade Center and the southern tip of the island, is is that proximity to water and Battery Park City. You know, is sort of 
you know, slogged as it gets as sort of this mall, like, you know, very modern kind of non-New York kind of environment. It's also like quintessentially New York in the sense of the views and this sort of relationship with the water and with yeah. the docks and still seeing the old bones of these buildings down here is really amazing. It's not just these gleaming brand new skyscrapers. It's actually like lovely buildings like the Francis Tavern and, you know, Delmonico's and these historic landmarks that are sort of mingled in. So to me, like reappreciating the far downtown, the financial district on the on down to the battery is one of the joys of living here and walking home after work and sort of kind of coming onto these like very you know, 1796 kind of alleyways and whatnot, and also seeing the water constantly from... The the South Street Seaport still has every structure from when it was first built in the 18th century. Like, you can walk around and see these, you know, brick buildings that used to house goods. Yeah. It was just updated, too, wasn't it? You were talking about that, Calder. They're... they're, they're, Yet a, another food hall, I believe Jean-Georges <laughs> has given his imprimatur to this one, is opening next year um, in the South Street Seaport. But, you know, they have old China Clipper ships, old steamers parked right there. And like Peter just said, it's just a great reminder of the history of this place. Right. Battery Park City is, was this new development, I think, in the late 90s. And a lot of people maybe bemoaned it as being not very New York. And that's something you hear a lot. This is not New York. Another example is the Time Warner Center on Columbus Circle. And, you know, you hear these these controversies bubble up at the time of construction, but once they're built and, you know, as the years go by, they sort of settle in and become a really sort of interesting, comfortable part of New York City. You know, I, you know, I challenge anyone to walk along Battery Park and not just be blown away by its beauty. Well, one of my favorite places is in Battery Park. It's the Pier A Harbor House. It was oh, yeah. Yeah. renovated recently. Gorgeous, oh, yeah. historic, three-story now multi is almost a food hall, but it's a, the biggest bar downtown and has this gorgeous patio and you can watch the sunset behind the Statue of Liberty and you have, you know, your Pim's cup from the tap and they have a captain's room upstairs where you can imagine smoking cigars and like waving around Manhattans. I don't know. It's all we watched it. We were down there once we watched a, an actual boat race, like a, like a, what was like it? A regatta. Oh, it was the Hawaii. Like a regatta. Yeah. And it was like that kind of thing when I used to come here in the early nineties from Philly where I was at the time. And that is the, again, there was, I had no consciousness. And even when I moved here, there was no consciousness that this is an actual sort of seafaring type town, right? Like that 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 you could actually, I mean, sail on the Hudson River. And now I feel like they're they just in addition to Brooklyn Bridge Park, there's a a, a sailing club that's popped up over there. Mm-hmm. So like kayaking, yeah, All there's kayaking yeah, right there's off kayaking of those piers. Rivers, it's, amazing. It's insane. Like, and yeah. I don't know that I want to you know get wet from that water, but it's kind <laughs> of amazing that I want to watch other people do. Yes, it. I'm, I'm 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 happy to stand on the shore and watch other people do. And I the the thing that always strikes me about that is you know Paul, you were talking about the public transit and the bikes but the other thing is there's this weird act of will that happened because this is a town that you know historically has prized money above all other things in a certain kind of way and these are prime real estate locations right and yes there's this weird compromise like down at brooklyn bridge park there's a one hotel that's opening up there i'm kind of curious to see what happens with that there's a there's a townhouse development but the fact is that the primacy is given to the park and the it's a public park and you're walking right by all of these places same thing is true on the west side highway on the, or on the you know on the hudson over on the west side and to some degree it's kind of remarkable to me 
that the city has sort of held its ground in terms of balancing development with making these spaces available and turning them into, you know, Brooklyn, Brooklyn Bridge Park is a kind of amazing, you know, place, as is the, the side of the Hudson. I, I, I'm, I'm continually impressed by the, the, the city sort of holding the line on that. Well, it's fascinating that historically these waterfront properties in New York City were often very poor neighborhoods. Like when Robert Moses built the West Side Highway, he famously had to kick out a bunch of squatters. Right. And now this is, you know, some of the most prime real estate in the world. So it's interesting to think that we've always sort of been an inland-facing city. That was true in Brooklyn as well, that all of the sort of longshoremen would live along the shore, and then the sort of the captain's houses and the mansions and the brownstones that were further inland up in, say, Brooklyn Heights or further in in Williamsburg were like sort of reserved for the, well, the wealthy who wouldn't want to live along the water where the rats and the various and smells were. <laughs> Paul Newman, or, or no, it was uh, Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando. Yeah, Marlon Brando. Uh, uh, yeah. Oh, was, what movie was that? On I, the Waterfront. I could have <laughs> been somebody. I could have been a contender. <laughs> but instead of... Could have been a contender. Could have been somebody. <laughs> could have been somebody. Um, that brings up... Good. But another another example of, that's sort of like a current example, of maybe not the nicest neighborhoods, are all these great, you know, to follow on this water theme, are all these great beaches that are accessible within an hour from New York City. And I'm not talking about, you know, the Jersey Shore, or Redmond, or the, or the, or the, or the, (laughs) you know, DTS down the shore or the Hamptons, you know, these beaches that aren't really the most upper class, but still are just these gorgeous long barrier beaches that stretch all the way from the tip of Montauk to Southern Brooklyn. It's the same sand. It's the same stretch of water. It's the same waves. And you can get there from Midtown Manhattan in 45 minutes. And this is something that I've only discovered in the last few years, that you don't need to stress about getting out of the city to enjoy a beautiful Saturday in the heat of July. Right. You, can you don't even need a car. You, can, you don't even need a car. You can hop on the A train, take it to... Rock, rock, Rockaway Beach. Rock, rockaway <laughs> Beach. If you're a surfer, you can surf there. There's great food. Um, you can go to Co- Coney Island is fun. Coney Island has got yeah, like, like a, it's Island. got it's yeah. real. You know, it's it's, it's got. Definitely. If you have kids, Coney Island is great. Hey, I would beg to differ. And by have... the way, hey, Brighton Beach. I mean, speaking of Queens and the sort of you know ethnic food and the internationalness of it. I mean, Brighton Beach is an amazing enclave of Russian and Georgian and Ukrainian foods and like beer halls Tatiana's. and amazing. Tatiana is one of go- the great things right go- on the boardwalk in Brighton Beach, with one of the most beautiful beaches, as Calder said, like this gorgeous golden sand. There are violinists walking around every summer night. You know. Kind of swooning over things. There are couples strolling the boardwalk. You can sit there and have like the most amazing meal, like for not very much money. And, and Go to I, a nightclub afterwards. I think this is something that a lot of New Yorkers don't know about, and I'm pretty certain that not many tourists know about. But I would until now. I would recommend to my Damn. if my friends came to stay in the city, I would say, you know what. I, Get an Airbnb in Coney Island. Get an Airbnb in Brighton Beach. You know, you can take you can take the train during the day to the tourist spots, but you know where you can hang out at night? You know, at Tatiana's. Yeah. Drinking some flavored vodka. So you you heard it there, Internet. Tatiana's, uh, Coney Island, uh, New York has it all. Um, so we'll wrap it up at that. Um, uh, just wanted to remind everybody to visit us at cntraveler.com. We are also on the Facebook and the YouTube at Condé Nast Traveler. We are on uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat, believe it or not, at CN Traveler. Um, and then shout-outs to everybody here, and thank you all for coming and uh, chatting today. Peter is at uh, Peter J. Lindbergh on Twitter and Instagram. Laura is at, at Laura underscore Redman on the Instagram. She does not want to divulge her Twitter. It's so old. It's so embarrassing. Oh, that's we have to fix that. Uh, Paul is at, at Paul P underscore Brady. 
Calder is at at CalderCorey on Instagram and at CalderQuinn on Twitter. And I am at Bradrick. And that's it. Have a great weekend, everybody. We will see you next week.